find yourself that you can like pour something into pour yourself into and like work hard for to attain and like find joy in that um and that's why you know the struggle like the wrestling with something like the chewing on the thing like the digging for you know whatever you're trying to find makes it that much more valuable um <clears throat> And I think that's um, that's like roughly the point that Jesus is trying to convey is that, well, if it were that easy, then like this whole thing wouldn't be like worth talking about. Mm. Yeah. King commies, look out, tell them, look out for my worldview. Cloudy when you sinking, got you thinking it's a whirlpool. Caesar in your pockets, you can't see who's in your pockets, but Stevie's inner Welcome visions to touch the your Belfast eyes and podcast. The I'm your host, Luke Byler, here with... My good buddy Matt Dean, and we haven't had a podcast in a long time. It, yeah, no, it's been quite a hot minute. But it's always good having a conversation with you. It's always fun. It's always enlightening. It's always intellectually stimulating. So I figured that uh, this would be a good, a good time on the Belfast because we always have these kind of discussions. So I figured, why not record one? For the audio only listeners, Luke is making me blush right now. <laughs> no thank you i really really appreciate it i'm like honored to be on here i'm a big fan of belfast you and dimitri both well thank you i appreciate that yeah absolutely uh, but you had to move out of your dorm today i guess that's a transition oh yeah so after this episode is recorded um since i'm living on campus in one of the residence halls at missouri state i have to um, move out a lot more of my stuff from my room than originally planned. So for winter break, summer break, um, well, not summer break, I have to move out like completely every, my entire presence from the dorm room, but like for spring break or like really long weekends, um, I have to move out and find like a place to stay, um, over those breaks. And so, before last week, I was just planning to move all of my stuff out, like just whatever I needed over spring break, you know, clothes, toiletries, like the essentials. But since um, this virus has been spreading um, faster and let's see here, more per pervasive than originally foreseen, I have to move out a lot more stuff than planning. So that that'll be good. Yeah, and I guess the fear right now is like spring break possibly getting extended, which has happened to other schools, even in Missouri, um, going to all online classes. Uh, you know, everybody who's living in the dorms is not in the dorms anymore because they don't want everybody there together, yeah. right? Help, you know, spreading this. So people like you who, you know, do have a place to stay in Ozark who do get to move in with your mom, but there's other people that are like, Surfing couches right surfing now. Surfing couches because they don't have family here. They can't, you know, especially either don't want to or can't drive the three, four hours, five hours, however right. far away they live to go back and stay with them. So, Or especially foreign exchange students. Yeah. Um, like last semester, um, I had a very uh, nice girl from China, a foreign exchange student, just live in the same floor as me, just um, a few doors down. Um and I think, and this was last semester before, you know, Corona really uh, spread like fire, but there's still, um, I think, you know, a handful of foreign exchange students living on campus and I have no idea what the next move for them is, but um, 
yeah, be praying for those sorts of people as you go about uh, enjoying your spring break. Yeah. And for most people, I think enjoying your spring break at home, inside, not traveling. Yeah. But I also hear a lot of people like, well, I'm going to go risk it anyway. Um, and we'll get to that in a second. But also, don't, I mean, wor- don't worry about what you can't uh, fix or affect. Yeah. <clears throat> so Corona is a big Seems to be a big worry. I mean, the NBA has suspended its season. Pretty much every major, like soccer, mm-hmm. um, NHL. I heard that report. The NCAA tournament's no longer happening. Yeah, no more March um, Madness. No more March Madness. And if we're talking about it, you know, it must be important. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, important. Like two weeks ago. No, this like, and I wanted to bring this up and talk about it because I think it's. Especially, we talked about this last night at Ichthus, like <clears throat> with with leadership and stuff. Like, how what do we do as a ministry? Like, how do we involve ourselves? What are we? What's our role as the body in in this time of panic and crisis? Um, how do we respond? And we said, well, you know, foregoing any major incidences, you know. And within the community, we're going to continue as normal. Yeah, um, that's Well, that's the same um, mindset that the early church had about when Israel was taken over many, many times in its history. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess the kind of the, so it's a big scare. It's a big issue in, in everywhere right now, I guess. Um, but again, like what is our response? I think is what we wanted to discuss a little bit about. Um, and just talking about, um, those things. So I posted a quote or part of a quote yesterday, um, that Kings K actually put on, uh, Twitter. Um, and it's a C.S. Lewis quote and he's talking about, uh, well, the wars and atomic bombs and Mm -hmm. the scares that that induced, um, when he was around and in his culture, cold war era, um, Western civilization. Yeah. And I'm just going to read a bit of this quote and we can discuss um, the implications of it. Um, He begins by talking about uh, how he says, I think that we think a great deal too much about the atomic bomb. Um, And he asks, how are we to live in this age? Um, And he says, I'm tempted to say that it's just the same as, you know, if you would have lived when um, the plague was happening or when Vikings could come and, you know, take over your village at any time. Uh, and like, we have scares of our age already of cancer and syphilis and paralysis, um, air raids, accidents, you know, cars crashing, any of those planes, any of those disasters. And then he goes on to say, um, in other words, don't let us begin by exaggerating the novelty of our situation. Believe me, dear sir or madam, you and all whom you love were already sentenced to death before the atomic bomb was invented. And quite a high percentage of us were going to die in unpleasant ways. We had, indeed, one very great advantage over our ancestors, anesthetics. But we have that still. It is perfectly ridiculous to go about whimpering and drawing long faces because the scientists have added one more chance of painful and premature death to a world which already bristled with such chances in which death itself was not a chance at all, but a certainty. This is the first point to be made, and the first action to be taken 
is to pull ourselves together. If we are all going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb, let that bomb, when it comes, find us doing sensible and human things. Praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting to our friends over a pint and a game of darts. Not huddled together, frightened sheep, not huddled together like frightened sheep and thinking about bombs. They may break our bodies. A microbe can do that. But they need not dominate our minds. And I guess I just, I, I loved, and I posted the, that last paragraph where he just says, if it's going to come, like, we're all going, death isn't something that we're avoiding by taking certain, by not living our lives. It's not like you are then not going to die one day because you bought all the toilet paper or you got all the hand sanitizers. It's, like, it's, you're still going to die. Your chance of death is still 100%. So let us not let these scares throw us into a panic and a frenzy that then cause us to not live our lives. I think it was Immanuel Kant or Schopenhauer, one, one of the two. <clears throat> I'm currently reading through the story of philosophy by Will Durant. I started it like two summers ago, and that's totally fine because it's a big, dense book with a lot of great people in it. Um, one of them is quoted as saying, the fear of death is the beginning of philosophy. But my response to that would be the acceptance of it is the beginning of an unfettered life. Hmm. Yes. Which may or may not transition well into the next thing we're going to talk about if we're just going to let that quote hang in the air. Well, do we want to or do we want to discuss it more? I would say... Because um, I would just say like our response in this is like, like we've said before, the, like the things that scare, I think even it was like Braden asked the question we were driving around yesterday, like, or maybe it was you. I was like, maybe this is what's like is going to make Springfield. Oh yeah. Like, yeah. what was it? Um, so can I, can I give one shameless shout out? Well, sure. I have my time here. Um, Ephraim McFarland, also known as the musical artist 218, that's two spelled out colon 18, um, is one of my favorite musicians and a good friend and another um, member of my church. Um, awesome guy to get to know. Uh, he has a song called, um, oh gosh, this is not a drill. Um, and if it, it's, it like parallels, um, some things that are talked about in the 1975s, love it. If we made it think what you will about that song. Like, it's kind of interesting to think about all the different ways the world could end and how our society responds to it. Um, and I can't remember if it's, uh, this is not a drill or something else. It's one of his newer singles. Um, but one of the lines that Ephraim talks about in those songs is like, maybe this people of Springfield will, will learn how to pray when like, you know, the seawalls like flood over the tops or, you know, when the world ends from, you know, like different pollutants or, you know, th like think about how, we're treating the planet what you will, but like, why does it take like something disastrous to happen? Like to an entire society for people to start like praying again 
and remember their faith and like remember like parts of the story again. Mm-hmm. Like um, I think it's reflective that we've taken all of these wonderful things and technologies and like interactions with people for granted. If like suddenly one day all of that is interrupted and we have to like change our habits and our lifestyles accordingly. It's like, well, then, you know, people start to realize that maybe I'm not in control of this ship like I thought I was. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, they like, a lot of people treat religion nowadays as a gamble, like, or an insurance policy. Like, well, you know, if this doesn't go my way, it, like, I better start praying about it and hope it works out for me. <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, no, you've like missed the point. You should have been doing that all along so that, you know, you wouldn't have to acclimate to these disasters. Um, but like, as like Luke was saying, I sort of posed the question to Luke and our friend Braden, like, will coronavirus like make the people of Springfield or Kansas city learn how to pray again? And there's just yeah. like a, there's just a moment of silence in that, in the car, like, Oh man. Yeah. And I think like, yeah, it's so good because I think it's just proof to what you're saying. Like, does is this what it takes to get us back to trusting, mm-hmm. to realizing that it's not in our control? And, um, you know, this goes back to something Jeremy shared at, at Ichthus like months, months ago. I think maybe even a year ago. And he said... He said, you want, a, you want a pathway to joy? You want hope? You give up control. He, and he made this, and I've thought about this for a long time. He said, because you live in a world with a God who created it all, and then he, in some sense, gave up his control. And God is in that. He's saying, be free, be like me. Be willing to give up your control. Oh, you're giving me another talking point for the next okay, segue. Good, oh, good. my goodness. So. And in that, he he made the reference to relationships. He's like, maybe the reason that your relationships aren't going the way you are because you don't actually love that person. You just love controlling them and conforming them to your image. And I sat there and I was like, man, he's so right. It's and I think in the, in the same way, like what you're talking about is, man, maybe I'm not in control of this ship like I thought I was. Man, maybe... Maybe some of the things are out of my hands as they've always been out of my hands. Maybe death is certain and it's going to happen anyway. And I think what gets me about this Lewis quote is like what he's proposing, what he's imploring is like, let us be living our lives in such a way that we aren't like gripping at the wheel for control of things that we never controlled. Well, that's because um, like the modern world often conflates uh, containment for control Mm. Like think yeah. of like think of a tiger in a cage. Like just because the tiger is in the cage, can you like make it like sit, roll over, like chase a ball? Like no, it's a tiger. You just like put it in a place that it like can't escape. Now you have like uh, there is nothing more about the tiger being in the cage that makes you have more control over it. You've just relocated it to a more confined space. Yeah, and then we've conflated. Um, control for power. The people like at the NSA, for example, spend, you know, um, like gross amounts of times, you know, surveying 
the population, you know, through a computer monitor. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. It keeps us safe and think what you will about their policies. Like, you know, things are going well, even though like we have had to, uh, like sacrifice our privacy in some way, but that's like, but that's to miss the point is that the citizens are more free than, you know, the people working for the government, um, because they don't have the freedom to, you know, like, um, you know, hang out with friends or get coffee or like spend time reading a book because they're concerned about, you know, the power of like, is everybody doing, you know, what they should be, or is anybody, you know, trying to hurt somebody else? They lose their ability to enjoy life because they are so concerned with grabbing at power. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. I guess to wrap all that up as Christians, as <clears throat> as those who maybe need to learn how to pray again, uh, let us use this time to learn to trust again and go on living our lives, not in fear. I'm not saying don't be safe. I'm not saying don't be, don't take precautions or be wise or throw care to the wind. Yeah. Or throw care to the wind. But again, I just think, what would it look like if, you know, everyone else was freaking out, but yet there was these, these groups of people that were just peaceful about it and they went on about their lives and, like I just, what kind of testimony is that? So, Corona, don't let it control you. Oh yeah. Or just like the beer, don't let it make you uh, decide rashly. <laughs> okay, so go ahead. We, we have a we have another topic that we we've talked about this topic for quite a bit I would say outside an, of this yeah an indefinite amount of time in our friendship yeah hmm? bring the mic a little bit closer oh sorry to is that better if you're gonna sit back okay yeah. like, Joe Rogan about a fist away from from your mouth the first okay okay uh, and I've been really wrestling with it because of Bema. Oh, like yeah. a lot that, that like Peterson and Bema were like the big things that like got me thinking about a lot of this. Mm -hmm. uh, and what we want to talk about today for our main topic is the importance of integrating and understanding Eastern thought um, in the Christian life. Oh, yes. <laughs> so I guess it's best to just start with a brief overview of the differences between Western and Eastern thought and then how those kind of intertwine and then what we see in the scriptures and, and Jesus and um, how do we go about this wisely? Mm -hmm. So I guess, let's just start with some of those contrasts. So do you want to open up that discussion? Um, sure. I mean, I can also just briefly outline my um, sort of experience with Eastern thought. Uh, like I said earlier, I've been reading the story of philosophy for um, an absurd amount of time. Those, um, those, uh, philosophers are primarily like Western thinkers. Um, but in my spare time, I've also taken the, uh, 
time to like observe different uh, Eastern philosophies. Um, my favorite Eastern philosopher has been Alan Watts. Like think of that of what you will, but I love what he has to say or had to say on a lot of things that concern um, our lives, even though like it seems so prophetic because that was like 30, 40 years ago when he was talking about these things. But um, <clears throat> um, Eastern thinkers or people from, you know, Eastern cultures are concerned with um, different parts of life and different problems than a lot of uh, Westerners are concerned with. Westerners are often concerned with, um, you know, like life after death um, and how, you know, we should be prepared for that. Um, you know, on more of a broad scope, uh, Westerners are very interested in the facts, like in empirical measurements um, in those, uh, I guess, parts of science. Easterners are very oriented towards truths and what um, what truths different stories have to uh, tell us and like how that operates. So a lot of um, you'll find a lot more parables from Eastern philosophers than you will from Western philosophers. Um, <clears throat> and those, if you even just take the time to like research different quotes from different philosophers, like in the West and in the East. Um, <clears throat> philosophers in the West will be concerned with like rhetoric and how, you know, your argument is structured. Easterners will convey different truths about life and how to treat other people. Um, <clears throat> so all of that stuff is well and good. Westerners like numbers, Easterners like, you know, maybe poetry more is a good way of putting it. And pictures. Pictures, uh, like mental images, um, I'm starting to run out of I No, I think that's a good okay. summary right there. Um, and I, and uh, again, like my experience a lot has culminated in like Bema mm -hmm. and like Marty. So um, for reference, if any of this makes you curious about Eastern Western thought, how it works in our faith, I'd highly encourage listening to uh, the Bema podcast, especially uh, episode zero. zero. Cause this is when Marty outlines a lot of these uh, differences. Mm -hmm. um, and I do like the, the, a mental image that he paints um you know consider looking at a room with windows and you're like standing outside this building westerners look through one window and we can see you know the computer sitting on the desk maybe a plant in the corner um but we're missing the other side of the room that we can't see from our perspective and so um easterners look at things through a different window and can see different things in the room from different points of view and so those um, looking through those windows changes our perception of how things in that room or that office interact with one another. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And on the like numbers versus like pictures or stories, he gave a like a good example of like if we see five apples on the on a table in a bowl, we would think one, two, three, four, five. Mm -hmm. We'd count them. Mm -hmm. Whereas a Hebrew might see that and think, well, that's. Torah. That's like the first five. Mm -hmm. That's the books of, you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Uh, uh, and even another word thing is that Easterners like odd numbers because mm -hmm. there's there's a, a, a middle a, a middle yeah. unit asymmetry that yeah. you can Which draw right down the, the middle. Thoughts of chiasms. Yes. And all that. Yes. So, <clears throat> again, it's 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 much more concerned with story and truth and picture um, than it is concerned with you know observable fact or rhetoric. Uh, or 
argumentation and in, in the sense of what how we would think about it mm-hmm. um so i guess the question is why why is it important to know this um as christians as people who are wrestling with the scriptures with the bible um with just different um viewpoints of things why is it important to understand uh eastern thought ah like observing Eastern thought is a beautiful place to go. If you're currently, you know, deconstructing, reconstructing some things in, um, your Christian, the, in the Christian circle of your life, you know, your beliefs and opinions and uh, the way you think about things, the Bible is like written from an Eastern perspective, um, like a great majority of it. Now we can see, um, we can see like breadcrumbs of Western thought in uh, the Synoptic Gospels, and even like in parts of John, there's uh, Jesus structures a lot of um, the the way Jesus's arguments in John, like when he's um, speaking with the Pharisees, are very like Western outlined. There's like a one you know straight train of thought. Um, Whereas there's like a counter and then examples to that counter, right? There's the counters examples, um, you know, point a point B and here's how point a point B affect like situation C. Um, now in books of the Bible, like Matthew, Mark, Luke, um, you'll find a lot of, um, verses where Jesus is speaking. He's using parables. Mm -hmm. He's using, um, situations to paint a picture and he uses that as like a medium to convey truth. Um, so I grew up, um, as a Southern Baptist and moved to the Springfield area right before I started high school. I was 14. Um, and so it wasn't until that I took, um, you know, a class in high school about, you know, approaching the Bible from a like a scholarly point of view that a lot of things that I learned growing up, um, I didn't hold on to anymore and decided not to hold on to those things. And even as I branched off reading, um, different, you know, philosophers and, uh, theologians and big thinkers on these topics that, um, I learned how important it is to <clears throat> understand these, um, different points of thinking because it, you find so much more in scripture then, um, you know, you might just from one perspective, if you can see both sides of the room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's the key and, and, and we'll hit on this, I think even later, but just keeping in mind that like, especially when we look at the scriptures, like if we're only looking at it in that Western point of view, we're only looking at it through that one window. Mm-hmm. And if we're looking at it through the Eastern point of view, we can look at it through the other window. And so I think it's probably best and most helpful when we understand both and we're able to see it from both perspectives and we can, depending on, you know, different things that we're reading or passages, because Paul can use a lot of rhetoric. He's very good at building arguments. Mm-hmm. Like, But it's also interesting because when you look at that, you have to understand the historicity of some of the arguments and the Jewish perspectives on those arguments and why he builds it the way he does, but he's a master arguer. Mm-hmm. But again, it's that mixture, like you have to understand why he would bring this in here, the thoughts of the day, like what this point makes in mm-hmm. his context and like why it ties to this. And so like ha- being able to have that Western mindset of, okay, here's the argument, here's how it builds. I can kind of outline some of that, mm-hmm. but then also understanding like, okay, in his Jewish context, this thing or this story, like why he references Moses so much in Galatians, 
right? Because Moses was the guy. Mm-hmm. Moses was the leader. Moses was the exodus, mm-hmm. right? And so, like, even at the end of Torah, it's like, well, no prophet has ever come or been like Moses, right? Right. And so, like, that was the guy for his, and he was like, no, someone great, like in Hebrews, like someone greater than Moses. And then Paul's using that in Galatians to prove his point about faith and faithfulness. And um, uh, and by understanding, you know, both perspectives, you know, Eastern and Western thinking, um, what often comes to surprise us is what, you know, each um, side of thinking um, is more inclined to like do or experience when reading scripture. Mm-hmm. So um, Western thinkers might like maybe more inclined to think of these stories as literal. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but uh, there is still value in uh, thinking about these stories, um, especially in the old Testament differently. Um, like more is revealed to us by looking through different lenses and giving different details and different frameworks, uh, more emphasis than what we're comfortable with. Mm -hmm. And that's why, um, like, it's kind of funny to read Galatians because Paul is, you know, frustrated with the, you know, inclinations of, um, you know, ancient Jews, like, you know, why can't you like think from like this other perspective and sort of like understand what I'm trying to say here? Like you're like this inclination that you hold towards, you know, letting Gentiles into the family is like preventing you from seeing like a different part of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's still, I still kind of chuckle at you foolish Galatians, like every time. <laughs> and it's like, I get that. I get that. Yeah. But it's something interesting. You brought up like Jesus using a little bit more like rhetoric with the Pharisees. But then the other thing that came to my mind, which, you know, you aren't wrong in saying that. But the other story that came to my mind was when Jesus is asked, like, um, like, what's the greatest commandment? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind Mm -hmm. and strength. And the second is like, love your neighbors yourself. And then he's asked, who's my neighbor? Then what does he do? Because he gave an answer that like he gave an answer that tied two things together that hadn't been tied together. Because a lot of rabbis were asked what are they they had like their favorites, mm-hmm. right? And so Jesus is asked the same question, like, what is the greatest to you? What is your yoke? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and he ties two verses together that that aren't usually tied together. Um, but then he's asked, Okay, explain to me this neighbor thing. What does that mean? And he goes a different direction. Mm-hmm. He says, well, here's a story mm-hmm. about this man. And he does, he, and he's like, even in like, he's so smart. Cause even in that story, he goes, okay, I'm going to make this character who gets helped a Samaritan mm-hmm. and you hate Samaritans. And my point is you loving your neighbor is extreme as you helping and loving and caring for those you hate. But that doesn't hit. Like he could say that, mm-hmm. right? But it's he could just say it like those facts, like that rhetoric, like, like what does loving my neighbor look like? You loving your neighbor looks like you loving the people that even you and helping the people you hate. Mm-hmm. Like he could just say it like that. But the fact that he gives the story, man, it speaks in a whole different way than just here's here's the point. It's because. Um he he provides like a relatable 
framework, a like narrative that everybody in the audience can relate to mm-hmm. um, and uses like that as a vehicle to like portray his message. Oh my gosh, these all, all the parables of Jesus are just like super, super rich in that sense. Um, and I'm love and I just love that you uh, bring up that point. What's the name of that book that you're currently turning pages in? Okay. So I'm going to, on this point here, because I think it's a fantastic point and I want to spend a little bit more time on it. It's a book by John Eldridge called Waking the Dead. And honestly, I cannot recommend this book enough. Um, if you're if you're listening to what I'm about to read or this conversation, um, get you curious at all, um, then... I would definitely suggest picking up this book. This conversation is not the point of John's book, but he kind of goes in this direction to help us think about um, story, truth, rhetoric, fact, um, how rhetoric usually just speaks to the mind and truth and story end up speaking to the heart. And the whole book, Waking the Dead, is about the heart. And it is fantastic. So can I recommend it enough? Huge shout out to John, but I want to read, um, this passage here and, um, the heading is called seeing with the heart. And he starts it this way. A sower went out to sow some seed. A man fell into the hands of robbers. Suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. There were 10 virgins with 10 lamps. Think of it. You're the son of the living God. You've come to earth to rescue the human race. It is your job to communicate truths without which your precious ones will be lost. Would you do it like this? Really? A treasure hidden in a field, a lump of dough, ten virgin, and something about oil? Why doesn't he come right out and say it? Get to the point. What's with all these stories? Some of them are rather puzzling, I might add. Jesus is not entertaining children. He's speaking to adults about the deepest things in life. And I think it's safe to say he knows quite well what he is doing. As Dallas Willard reminds us, Jesus is brilliant. He is the smartest man who ever lived. So what's up with all these stories? We are children of the internet and the cell phone and the weather channel. We think we are enlightened ones. We aren't fooled by anything. We just want facts, the bottom line. So proposal has become our means of saying what is true and what is not. And proposal is helpful for certain things. Sacramento is the capital of California. Water freezes at 32 degrees Fahrenheit. Your shoes are in the front room under the sofa. But proposition fails when it comes to the weightier things in life. While it's fact, while it is a fact that the Civil War was fought between the years 1861 and 1865, while it's also facts that hundreds of thousands of men died in that war, those facts can hardly describe what happened at Bull Run, at Cold Harbor, or Gettysburg. Don't that you don't even begin to grasp the reality of the Civil War until you hear the stories, see the pictures from that time, visit the battlefields, or watch a film like Glory. How much more so when it comes to the to the deep truths of the Christian faith? God loves you. You matter to him. That is a fact stated as a proposition. I imagine most of you have heard it any number of times. Why then aren't we the happiest people on earth? It hasn't reached our hearts. Fact stays lodged in our mind for, mo- for the most part. They don't speak at the level we need to hear. Proposition speaks to our mind, but when you tell a story, you speak to the heart. We've been telling stories to each other since the beginning of time. It's our way of communicating the timeless truths, passing them down. And that's why when Jesus comes into town, he speaks in a way that will grasp and pa- get past all our intellectual defenses and disarm our hearts. He tells a certain kind of story. As Chesterton said, I'm concerned with a certain way of looking at life, with 
uh, which was created in me by the fairy tales, but has since been ratified by mere facts. And the best stories of all, the ones that bring us the eternal truths, they're always, they always take the form of parable, or sometimes we say fairy tale, but better still to call them myths. So I, I, I just love what he says in that point. He's like, if you were going to communicate these facts, these truths to humanity as Jesus, why tell these strange stories? And this just breaks apart. Our Western mind is like, no, but give me the three-point sermon. Give me the bulleted <laughs> outline. Give me the, the, just give me the proposition. Just tell me that God loves me. And, well, true, again, it just speaks to our brain. It doesn't speak to our heart. And I also, I think that tied into this is what Jesus says. Um, about the parables. This is in Mark 4. Um, this will be verse 12. And he has just told the parable of the farmer and the seed. And um, and he tells the parable. And after telling it in verse 9, he says, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. And it says, later when Jesus was alone with the 12 disciples and the others who were gathered around, they asked him what the parables meant. He replied, you are permitted to understand the secret of the kingdom of God, but I use parables for everything I say to outsiders so that the scriptures may be fulfilled. And then he quotes, when they see what I do, they will learn nothing. When they hear what I say, they will not understand. Otherwise, they will turn to me and be forgiven. So Jesus is literally saying, I'm telling these stories so that I confuse them, so that it's harder to grasp. So that if they want to know, they will actually seek the kingdom of God. And I, I just think it's fascinating. And I think we miss it so much of that when we just want the facts, when we just want the rhetoric, when we just want the, the mental stimulation. And when we're not concerned with the story, the truth. Um. Well, another thing about, you know, Western culture is that the greatest luxury is convenience. Mm -hmm. um, and which is also being revealed in the this Corona that's going around. now, Right. Right. right? Um, yeah. You you like uh, our conveniences are like when those are threatened, we like our entire like livelihood or, you know, like sense of well-being is also threatened like if it takes more than like two or three days for my amazon package to arrive like oh, there's yeah. gotta be something bad going on in the world <laughs> <laughs> um you're like you're like that second day i'm like checking my phone right i'm like go to my amazon app and be like is it gonna say arrive before by 9 p.m tonight like because i need it it's i got two day shipping i pay for prime like i better get it within that 48 hours so or, you know, you get so excited when it's like, oh, man, they have that drop down menu of like, you could get it in one day and it's still free. And I'm like, bet I'm getting it in 24 hours. <laughs> Jesus says, uh, do not worry uh, about tomorrow because uh, tomorrow will worry about itself. But that was before Amazon. So I think, <laughs> um, I think there's uh, some reconsiderations that need to happen. No, I'm kidding. But uh, <laughs> um. But yeah, it just goes back to um, this idea that we love 
convenience. It's like the greatest thing ever. We can have things like almost whenever we want them, like all the time. Um, and that is, that is one way to spoil a child. Oh my goodness. Um, but what is often like so valued in Eastern cultures is the journey. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, mm-hmm. like you have had to, you know, yeah. work for something you, it, it's, it's taken a journey to get there. Um, and, um, in a lot of, like a lot of Eastern thinkers condone, um, finding yourself a discipline, um, but Westerners, you know, think discipline and we're like, oh no, is that like doing chores and like doing the dishes and like paying taxes on time? Like, no, no, no. Like that, like the, the proper translation of that is find yourself a passion, find yourself that you can like pour something into, pour yourself into and like work hard for to attain and like find joy in that. Um, and that's why, you know, the struggle like the wrestling with something like the chewing on the thing, like the digging for, you know, whatever you're trying to find makes it that much more valuable. Um, <clears throat> and I think that's, um, that's like roughly the point that Jesus is trying to convey is that, well, if it were that easy, then like this whole thing wouldn't be like worth talking about. Mm. And I was even thinking about this, like when you talk about convenience, it's like, okay, well, yeah, we just want the straight facts because, well, then we have them. Yeah. And in some ways, that's very helpful. Like, even in the current situation, it's like, it is very helpful that we can get these facts and we can, you know, progress with the actual timeline of things that are happening and know what to be aware of. Mm-hmm. That's in a way that this Western thought, this scientific thought is very, very good. Mm-hmm. But in terms of these deep truths that, you know, in these parables and that Jesus is telling it about our lives, it's like, we need to be able to rest and be happy in the fact that we don't have it all figured out and that it is the journey. Mm-hmm. And it's something Marty brings up too, which is interesting. It's like the difference between an Eastern and Western or when like they're reading the scriptures is when a Westerner comes to something they don't understand, they get frustrated. Mm-hmm. And we want, you know, we want to throw our Bibles and say, I don't get it. Mm-hmm. And we get angry. Mm-hmm. And when an Easterner comes to that, they rejoice because they say, hmm, another treasure to find. Yeah, there's there's a sudden grin in the room that wasn't there 12 verses ago. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, and just valuing that, it's that journey of understanding, it's that journey of time, of, of knowing um, these things, rather than being like, and that's what story does, because story sticks with you. Yeah. And I think that's also why Jesus told all the stories, because he's like, it's way easier to, have a story lodged in your brain mm-hmm. than it is to just memorize a bunch of facts. Right. And uh, I think that the, like, uh, kind of like I was talking about earlier, the wrestling with, you know, truth or the thing that you're confused or frustrated with is what, like, um, validates or verifies the thing being true in the first place. And so um, whenever you know, parables come up in sermons or, you know, videos like on YouTube that people are interested in. Um, the, like the truth, uh, can't be understood as well if you just, um, like acknowledge the story, but don't do anything with it. Um, like in the sermon on the Mount there, like the different parables, um, and points that Jesus makes are all intended to get us to be active 
and what those things are and how they interact with us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm going to use another example. Um, Westerners are very fond of playing devil's advocate, like even for positions that they yeah. don't agree with fully. Yeah. Uh, I do this all the time. Yeah, and it makes you did you to and, me yesterday. Yeah, uh, probably more than once. But I know that uh, Braden got a little bit frustrated. And so I was enjoying myself in that sense. Uh, but Westerners can play devil's advocate for all sorts of positions they don't agree with. But oftentimes when they're defending like that opinion or um, the other position, they can defend that position, but not like oftentimes not be held accountable to upholding that opinion or position all the time. Mm-hmm. But um, when like an Eastern philosopher or Jesus tells like a story or a parable or, um, you know, makes some sort of like correlation with like a myth narrative. And by the way, myth doesn't mean not true. Um, in fact, myth is a great way to convey truth. Um, we'll get to that in a second. Yeah, we're, we'll get to that in a second. Um, and this is seen across like Taoism, across Buddhism, <clears throat> across different like uh, traditions in Eastern religion. Um, when when you're discussing, you know, truth conveyed in story, uh, it is best like you um, better understand the truth when you sort of live out and are willing to experience what the like truth is in that story. So, oh gosh, I love talking about this thought experiment um, so much, and I've probably used it way too many times while you've been in Springfield, Luke. <clears throat> um, one of my favorite thought experiments is on desire, and um, I currently hold this you know belief, position, opinion that not everybody knows what they want we think about things superficially and that's something that's um not specific to easterners or westerners like it's just a people thing we think we know what we want but oftentimes uh you know i believe that people don't really know what they want um we like if you begin thinking about what you desire and more and you know more than superficially you spend more and more time realizing that you don't know what you want and that's uh, and that can oftentimes be celebrated. That's a good thing because you have like nothing to sort of domineer the thoughts in your mind. Like you don't have to worry about, you know, like a certain part of your finances going to that thing that you want, be it like the new AirPods, be it like toilet paper, be it like a new thing for your car or like a new car entirely. Like if you don't know what you want, then like there's and you can find rest in that. That's a good thing. Um, and aside from like the details of minimalism, like we, and we find more, um, control and balance in our lives by recognizing that we don't always know what we want. So somebody might say like, Oh, you know, I want to live like Ty Lopez. I want a Lamborghini in my garage one morning. Okay. Really? I want those, uh, shelves full of books actually, Matt. Really? Cause you know what I like more than these Lamborghinis? knowledge knowledge okay well for for this for the sake of, for the yes. sake of like materialism let's just yeah. let's just critique the the lamborghini desire so uh you want a lamborghini in your garage do you also want the 13 miles to a gallon in premium gasoline do you also want the insane amount of taxes on it do you also want insurance? you know 
You're right. Insurance. And do you also want to pay for the very expensive parts that you can't get at O'Reilly's? And, uh, you know, like all these different things, like, do you all like constantly want to have to put like a fresh coat of wax on it so that, you know, scratches don't show up as easily and it always looks like pretty as it should? Like, no, nobody wants to do that. They just want to have a friend that owns a Lamborghini so that they don't have to take care of it, but they still get to like drive a Lamborghini every once in a while. And um, my favorite example of this is like, oh, I want a boat. Trust me, you do not want a boat. You do not want to have to pay people to like clean barnacles off the bottom of the boat. You don't want to have to pay like marina expensive boats break a lot. Boats boats can leak a lot. Like it is a nightmare. If like uh, if you take anything away from this episode is like <laughs> find a friend that has a boat <laughs> and you will be loving life <laughs> when that happens. Um and and so uh, back to like back to my what I was, the reason why I brought this up is that like, um, I am more inclined nowadays to like acknowledge and tell people that I don't know what I want. Um, because I, when I, you know, think about things that I want, I run through the sets of like pros and cons and how much time I want to spend on certain things. How Western of you. Right. And so instead of playing devil's advocate, like Luke specifically, you don't know what you want because I know you well enough. Like that would (laughs) to an Easterner, that would mean less, if coming for me, I also didn't practice that, you know, um, that awareness of what I want. But it's important. And what you're getting at is like what you said in the beginning, like people only usually think of it superficially. Mm-hmm. You don't actually take the time and consider what are the consequences, good and bad mm-hmm. of me having this thing that I want. Right. Um, and the truth of that is like amplified when I um, live it out. When mm-hmm. I practice it. And, that's and that Eastern. is right. And that is like what Jesus advocates all the time, like across the New Testament. We hit on it a, a, a little bit ago before you gave that example okay. about uh, fact and truth mm-hmm. and saying that something's story or myth doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily discount the fact that it's true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and not the, maybe not the fact that it's true. But like the presence of the truth. Exactly. Okay. So, and maybe this is a whole nother episode because I don't want to jump into like all the things in Genesis. Yeah. Like we can, we can discuss those later. Uh, But the point being that uh, I think we've made them just to like give summary. um, And I guess if you all want to hear more about this, um, please let us know. Uh, We'll take a deeper dive into these things. But to say that, uh, to have a purely scientific mindset on it and to say, well, if it is this way, then it has to be tr- fact. Mm-hmm. I won't say true. It has to be fact. It has to be observable fact in the scientific manner of you do the, you have the hypothesis, you test the hypothesis, you see the results, and then you fix your hypothesis, you come up with a new one, and then you go through it again. Mm-hmm. Right. We all learn that in like third, fourth, fifth grade when we do science experiments. Mm-hmm. So we're trained in a scientific model, which again, isn't bad. But it forgoes this whole mindset of, of like truth can come even from things that aren't observable fact. Right. So like, so like in the whole argument of, and people across the spectrum of what they believe in the first stories in Genesis have different views on this. So like, I'm not advocating for either one hard position or the other, but even within that, there's debates about, well, is it a literal, you know, seven, 24 hour days? Is it, you know like thousands of years, mm-hmm. what's the time span, all of that. 
Um, is there old earth? Is it young earth? Like all those things can be very, are very like debatable, Mm -hmm. but to, I would even say like to begin the discussion there is just to start missing the point. Right. And like, um, the insistence on fact, like the insistence on like having to know something is antithetical to belief or faith Mm -hmm. because those things require that you don't know. Mm-hmm. But you act as though they are yeah. like um, completely true. Um, yeah, and this goes yeah. back to something I've heard Jeremy say more than once. It's like, don't you know that, like, the fact the fact that something is true means that it's going to cause you to have more questions, not necessarily that it's, it's going to hand you all the answers. So, again, like I go to the things in like the creation story because it's like vital that we begin to understand those things Mm -hmm. and like actually wrestle with them. But I think in the same way to, to like want to just, and I said this to, well, we were talking about like Genesis and like Job and all this other stuff and like wrestling through a lot of these things. And I just had this moment and I said, you know, I, I think we've been trying to shove the Bible in a box and ask questions of it that aren't aren't, fair, aren't fair. Right. Because going back to, bro, the Easterners not concerned about like, oh, was it a literal like 24 hour day? No, it's the poetic rhythm of the story. Mm-hmm. That's the point. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like going up to Jesus after he tells the parable of the prodigal son and saying, oh, so that guy with those kids you talked about, like what town did he live in? Mm-hmm. Like what were his son's names? And Jesus would look at you and go, it's not the point. But again, as I've been talking to other people in my life, like who, like my buddy who like I'm mentoring and like, he's like going to Wichita state to like, uh, like become an engineer. And like, he's very mathematical, like fact minded. Mm -hmm. And he's like really wrestling with this. Mm. And what I've been saying to him is like, okay, fact and truth. Like as John was talking about, like myth and story doesn't mean that it's less true, even though it's not necessarily fact. Because fact speaks right. to us in a different way. Right. So fact is true. That's and why we like analogies. Yeah. And then there's this other subset of true. And so like I, I, I've used this as like, okay, so you ask Jesus, like, is that story true of the man with those sons? Is it true? I'd say yes, yes. it's true. Yes. Okay. What do you mean by true? Uh, right. Oh, well, that's where the conversation that's, begins. Yeah, that's where the conversation begins. And so we have to start understanding in this mix of Eastern and Western thought of like truth operating on different levels mm-hmm. and not just being, okay, observable fact equals true. Mm-hmm. And like, if I can't like reproduce it in the physical world, not true. Right. Because we don't believe that in how we live our lives anyway. Right. Like, and, um, that like brings me to another example is that like, uh, since, um, like truth requires like faithfulness. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can extrapolate, you know, this, you know, scientific like way of thinking out, you know, way, by the way, way, we've, we've only really been thinking like that as a race for 500 years, maybe a thousand. Um, Oh, like as like a civilization. Yeah. Like we've only really had that scientific model and right. thought for not very long. Right. Uh, and ironically like those. So to say but, that that's sorry, but like my point is to say that like, that's what true is. Is kind of superficial. Yeah. Um, and it's like kind of ironic because those like early scientific 
beginnings in the West, like um, began with members of uh, the Catholic Church. Um, but as I was saying, like if we wanted to extrapolate this um, mindset, this way of thinking out way, way wide, um, I would say that like in order to live your life, you have to like like faith is faith is required like no matter like how big or small. Mm-hmm. Um, so the ranch where we're recording this has like creaky wooden floors. Now, if you insisted that you know things should be looked at a scientific you know fact based metric all the time, then why don't you measure like the tensile strength of each like floorboard or you know test like the age and like to see you know how strong each floorboard is so that it doesn't like fall beneath your every step or you know like every normal person you can walk across the floor and think nothing of it because that you trust that it you have faith that it won't you know fall beneath you mm-hmm. but those are things that we never think about but um if you like observe that it like requires faith to to walk across the floor, you know, if every, you know, if we were that, um, you know, scientifically minded, we would have to test like everything before we do it and hope that it work out. Mm-hmm. So it's okay to not know. Yeah. And it's okay to be okay with the journey mm-hmm. and not knowing. And I guess when I heard like, Man, when the Easterner comes to something they don't understand, they rejoice because it's more buried treasure. Mm-hmm. And in in terms of the whole scope of you know these conversations we want to have, it's in this areas of deconstructing, reconstructing, understanding that that takes time, and mm-hmm. being okay with that, mm-hmm. and being able to know and trust like you said like trust the story like have faith like be okay with hey i'm not going to be able to wrap my mind around everything Mm -hmm. nor should i be able to right right like jesus said like i tell these things because they're confusing so that the people who actually want to search them out will search them out Mm -hmm. those who have ears let them hear Mm -hmm. and then to just act like thank you Braden. To just act like, oh, well, it's not real if I can't understand all of it is really dumb. Mm-hmm. So, um, and, and understanding that blending this Eastern Western thought, it's going to bring maybe even more confusion, but hopefully at the end, it brings a lot more rest and knowing that, man, there's a reason for all the stories and the stories speak at a different level than just pure fact. Mm-hmm. Back to like back to the example with Jesus and the and the lawyer, right? Like, okay, here's the here's the truth. Following me and being in the kingdom is loving God and loving others, and your loving your neighbor. Well, what does that look like? Here's a story, right? And the fact is, the more you meditate on the story, the more you understand it, the more you grasp it. The the realer, realer is that a is that a word? The more real that that truth then then reveals itself. And yeah, I guess the point is just in having both of these understanding that it's okay to sit and wrestle through through the stories. Yeah. For for the truth and not just for the fact. Yeah, absolutely. Um <clears throat> yeah, like um 
one of the disciplines, like passions that I found, you know, when I began listening to like some of those lectures, um, was that like, oh, like studying the Bible and like thinking about these different passages is like a true like passion that I like celebrate and love like diving into and like asking questions. Um, so I'd say like to any of the listeners, like if you can find like a sincere passion in, you know, um, like not necessarily relearning, but like starting, not even starting over, but like establishing something new with these passages, these stories, these, um, you know, these books in the Bible, like celebrate that. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, I'm certainly not the best about, you know, reading my Bible every day or even every week, but you know, every time I open it and find something that I can think differently about, um, and be constructive with, and, you know, put into practice, like I celebrate that completely. Um, so I, you know, and I want to encourage, you know, all of you listening to, uh, do the same. Cause I know you can. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I guess it's the sentiment of celebrating the unknown. Yes. Instead of fearing it. Mm, exactly. Exactly. Well, with, I, that, with think, every problem rises a new opportunity. I think that's a good place to end. Yeah, absolutely. Luke, thank you so much for having me. Well, it's been a pleasure and we'll have to do it again. Absolutely. So uh, if you want to tell the people, uh, where can they find you? Uh, they can find me on Twitter. I'm not on Twitter very much, but if you want to see the garbage that I post on Twitter, it's uh, <laughs> Matt underscore Dean capital P capital C. Um, and then my Instagram handle is, um, Matt. And then with eight underscores in a row, Dean on Instagram. Yeah. Complicated. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. And my name is Luke Byler. I'm your host. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Luke underscore Byler eight one six. That's B O I L E R eight one six. You can also find the Belfast podcast on Facebook and Instagram at the Belfast podcast. We also have a website, that just got launched. Hallelujah. Hey, yo. So if you just type in the Belfastpodcast.com, it'll take you straight there. We'll have blog posts. We'll have episodes posted. Um, some other content there to come. So uh, that's a lot of fun. Uh, and then if you want to leave us a review on iTunes, please do. Um, it helps us out a lot. Um, if you want to send us an email, which um, would be also very fun, you can email us at BelfastPodcast at gmail.com. So, again, thank you all for listening. Um, enjoy it very much. They always say there's more to it. Look at the details. They always say they going through it. Life is a female. Dog, that would be me. She said, let's go to Hong Kong. But I'm only 18. Ain't got money for Hong Kong. If she'd have asked me last year, I'd have been long gone. Because we all dogs. And I hope we all go to heaven. I promise we had it all wrong circa 2007. Uh.